Season 6, Episode 3 of JV to the Pros. Let's do it! We got a list of things to cover today. Oh boy, I've got, oh, you're not going to believe this. I've got a bunch of new Florida crime stories. Yeah, I I didn't go through the whole list last on last episode because I would still be talking. <laughs> I've got enough information to go years on Florida stupid crimes. But I want to talk about um, some some celebrity deaths. I want to talk about uh, some of the football season. I want to talk about some of the coaching vacancies. I want to talk about the possibilities of what's going on. I want to talk about, oh, by the way, we have a guest coming on the show, the great Gerardo, who nine weeks before it was decided what the NCAA championship game would be, he called it. He said, Washington, Michigan, and I said, Gerardo, it's not exactly a ratings bonanza, those two. And he said, I don't care. Those are the two that will be playing for the national championship. Gerardo was not only correct about it, but then <laughs> came on my show to call who would win that championship game and by how much and got it right again. So we're going to have Gerardo join us today, and he's going to talk about what he thinks is going on with the coaching carousel in the NFL, and he's going to talk about um, what happened in that national championship game. And we actually have a very funny anecdote to share with you because <laughs> something very funny happened when that great play was made by Washington to keep the Longhorns from advancing to the national championship game, and I'll bring you up to speed on that. But yeah, it is going to be the great Gerardo episode of season six, episode three of JV to the pros. <laughs> now, I want to talk about a couple of celebrity deaths. Um, first of all, as you know, from the years of listening to the show. I am a huge fan of the Honeymooners. I loved watching the Honeymooners when I was a kid. And I got such a big kick out of out of just the comedic timing and and just the way Art Carney and Jackie Gleason worked off each other. Audrey Meadows was a strong supporting member of of the cast. Um I just I used to record Episodes of The Honeymooners at like 11.30 at night on WPIX in New York, Channel 11. And I would record until the batteries on my cassette recorder would start to go dead. And then I would get myself some C batteries, either from neighbors or whatever, because certainly my father wasn't helping out with any of that stuff. And I would listen to the playback on the cassettes and, and study the comedic timing, the delay, the beat, the, the just knowing when to strike with the punchline. Now, um, in the past week or so, Joyce Randolph, the last surviving member of the cast of The Honeymooners, passed away at the age of 99. And she played Trixie Norton 
on the show. And and Trixie was, um, I, you know, I would like to say she was, she she was um kind of a um like everybody on the show, everybody on the cast was in the you know first team, and I would say that Joyce playing Trixie Norton was. She was on like the B team. She wasn't in every episode. They didn't really write the episodes to give her remarkable punchlines or or make her character particularly memorable. And um, I didn't I didn't get as big a kick out of um, what they did with Joyce Randolph. But Joyce Randolph realized how very fortunate she was to be on such a show now um uh let me just tell you a little story here of how she got on the um cavalcade of stars with jackie gleason it was a a dumont network variety show and apparently jackie gleason spotted joyce randolph doing a commercial for clorettes and decided not to hold a casting session and decided just to absolutely hire her outright to play Trixie on the honeymooners. And she of course agreed because <laughs> frankly, I don't think her career was really going anywhere at that point. And the um, cavalcade of stars ended up um, spinning off into a half hour sitcom in front of a live audience. And by the way, Back then in the 50s and 51 and stuff, when you did television, you did TV live. It was like watching a play. They they had the cameras and they were broadcasting and they were recording. But as they did it on TV is as it aired on TV in real time. So you had to know your script. You had to know your stuff. You had to know your movements, your blocking. You had to know exactly what you were doing because there was no margin of error. And there were times during the shooting of the Honeymooners where there was a little bit of dead air. Uh, I remember at one point, Audrey Meadows says to Jackie Gleason, you know, Alice to, to Ralph. She says, oh, but Ralph. And he's supposed to cut her off. And he stands there frozen. And there's probably four or five awkward seconds before he remembers his line and says, ah, don't butt Ralph me, and he moves on. But she had no place to go with that because if he doesn't do his line, she can't do her next line. So there's a certain irony about the fact that he saw her in this Clarets commercial and that um, Joyce Randolph actually worked with Audrey Meadows on a summer stock production of No No Nanette. Now, here's the funny thing. <clears throat> Those people that know the Curse of the Bambino, as it's referred to in Boston, because the owner of the Boston Red Sox traded Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees in 1918 after winning the World Series in 1918, traded their most valuable player supposedly to fund his Broadway show, No, No, Nanette. Now, here's the funny thing. The truth of the matter is that wasn't what it was about at all. <laughs> the owner had simply gotten sick of Babe Ruth's crap 
with running around the brothels and drinking and showing up drunk at the games and eating in the dugout during games and and his his antics all over the place and and he just got tired of it the fact that they had to go find him at some brothel on game day because he would be passed out drunk and hung over yet he was still a great ball player and the red sox claimed that that was that one move caused the red sox to not win another World Series for 86 years. Well, the truth of the matter is, Babe Ruth put himself in a position to just be undesirable on the team. And the only reason he was traded to the Yankees and sold for $125,000, which was an enormous amount of money at the time, was because the Yankees were the only team that could afford to pay that kind of money. So, of course, the Yankees paid it because it was Babe Ruth. And then the Yankees went on winning World Series after World Series. Anyway, I digress. But um, Joyce Randolph and Audrey Meadows did a summer stock production of No, No, Nanette. And then they end up portraying these two families in a Brooklyn, New York neighborhood in a rundown brownstone in which they're blue-collar workers. Ed Norton is a sewer worker, and Ralph Cramden is a bus driver, and they're all friends. Well, Joyce Randolph had a very substandard part in the show. I, I would venture to guess that she was in about half of the episodes, if that. And I was going to show you some of the, um, just some of the writing that they did for Joyce Randolph because they really didn't they didn't give her any zingers. Now Alice, played by Audrey Meadows, she got some incredible one-liners. I mean, there's a there's a line in one of the episodes where Ralph is on a game show and the game show is very much like who wants to be a millionaire where each question gets you yields you more money, more money. And it keeps going on and on to the $99,000 question. And um Alice is trying to convince Ralph to just take the first question, get it right, and come home with $600, which is a load of money at that time. And Ralph says, $600, peanuts, peanuts. Alice, what am I going to do with peanuts? And Alice does the right thing. She waits a beat for the audience to calm down, quiet down, and then she says, eat them like any other elephant. Those are the kind of lines they never gave to Trixie. Trixie was just kind of this vehicle between great one-liners. Here, I'll play a little clip of of one episode where they this is a, this is an episode for Ralph's birthday gift, which was a a belt, and um, the two wives are sitting there talking about the fact that he got a new belt for his birthday gift. Now they could have easily have given Trixie, you know, the zinger line, but 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 they didn't. You know, they kept it with Alice and Joyce Randolph again was the setup vehicle. Here, listen to this. Now I got my shopping list all made out for tomorrow morning. I'm gonna serve sandwiches, ice cream, coffee, punch, potato chips, peanuts, chocolate cake with happy birthday to Ralph on it. Oh, on second thought, I'd better make that coconut cake. Why? Ralph's crazy about chocolate cake. That's just it. I bought him a new belt for his birthday, and I want to make sure it fits the day after. Oh. <laughs> well, you could always exchange it for a larger size. 
There is no larger size. Now you see, they could have given Trixie the 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 larger size joke. You know, they they could have worked it in and let her do it, but instead they gave that joke to Audrey Meadows as Alice, and and Alice had the great delivery. But you know, they were friends, and Joyce Randolph just didn't mind being basically in the shadow of the rest of the cast members. I mean, frankly, it was Jackie Gleason, Art Car Art Carney, in a in a tie, and then Audrey Meadows as Alice Cramden, right there with them. And then, by the way, they had Joyce Randolph as Trixie show up here and there. Anyway, so um, Joyce Randolph, the last sub surviving member of the, the main cast of The Honeymooners, dead at the age of 99. Now, I, I, I wanted to, um, to kind of get an idea. I mean, I knew Jackie Gleason and Art Carney and, and Audrey Meadows made some very, very good money. I think they made somewhere around $1,500 or $2,000 an episode. But Joyce Randolph made $500 an episode. And I was trying to figure out what $500 in 1951 was compared to today in 2024. So I looked it up, and $500 in 1951 is worth $5,898, $6,000 today. So $500 was worth $6,000. So they were doing one episode, obviously a week, because the show aired once a week, and she was basically getting the equivalent of 1000 bucks a day to do the show in, our, in, in today's numbers. And, um, I mean, it's kind of scary to think that um, $500 increased like almost $5,500 in 73 years. Anyway, um, but Joyce Randolph, you know, made her mark in television history. Had she not done that Clorets, uh, Clorets commercial, the, the um, breath mint thing, she would have never been seen. I mean, this is the crazy thing about this business that I'm in. You know, I've done things that I thought, oh, that's nothing. I'll just bang it out. And then somebody says, oh, I saw you on that. You're very good. I, w I would like to, you know, ask you if you'd like to do this this film. And the same thing happened with um, Adam West. I think Adam West did a Cracker Jack commercial or something. And it was it was a very camp type Cracker Jack commercial and when they were figuring out who to play Batman on the TV show knowing it was a very camp type you know show they um you know they they touched upon Adam West and he ends up getting a whole career playing Batman anyway Joyce Rand uh, um, um, Joyce Randolph was uh, a native of Detroit um, she did a lot of local theater and finally decided to make her move to New York and give it a shot. And she did get on Broadway. Um, she did a comedy called Ladies Night in a Turkish Bath and some early television for General Electric, which, frankly, General Electric Company was a big deal back then because General Electric was in show business. And it was like... Back then, it was a really big deal. Like when they said General Electric, people used to go to the store and buy toasters that said General Electric on them because General Electric 
sponsored one of their favorite TV shows. People were very loyal to those products back then. Anyway, um, Joyce Randolph uh, was acting as late as the 90s in which she did a sitcom called Hi Honey, I'm Home, which brought um, Meadows back as Alice. And um, she got to portray the same character again. Anyway, in, in October 2017, Joyce Randolph was on the red carpet for the premiere of The Honeymooners, the musical, and that was at the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. She was then married to marketing executive Richard Charles. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, she wasn't married to him then. She did marry marketing executive uh, Richard Charles, and they were married from 55, like in her heyday, until almost 2000. And um, so anyway, um, I, I, was, I was impressed at how she really fluked a great, great career. And um, Joyce Randolph was uh, asked by Larry King in 2002 if she had a favorite episode of The Honeymooners. And she replied, oh, I love them all, but I love the sleepwalking one when Norton wanders downstairs while snoozing. <laughs> so <laughs> any show in which I had more than six or seven lines, I really loved. You see, this is what I'm talking about. She only would get a few lines on the episodes she was on. I mean, they didn't really invest in that character. That character was kind of, um, you know, a little bit of a fixture between other shots. So anyway, Joyce Randolph, who played Trixie Norton on The Honeymooners, is the last surviving member of the cast who is now dead at the age of 99. Rest in peace, Joyce Randolph. The other celebrity death we had um, was David Soul of Starsky and Hutch fame, in which he played uh, Ken Hutch. Um, uh, I, think, I think the name was Hutchin, Hutchinson or... Anyway... Um, uh, yeah, Hutchinson, Ken Hutchinson. He, and they called him Hutch. And he uh, was with uh, Paul Michael Glazier on Starsky and Hutch. And my connection, as thin as it is to Starsky and Hutch, is the person that actually helped accelerate my career was Norman Henry. And Norman Henry was the uncle of a business partner of mine, and Norman Henry literally made one phone call. And that phone call got my career in high gear. And Norman Henry was Aaron Spelling's executive producer on Starsky and Hutch and Charlie's Angels and Love Boat and Fantasy Island Dynasty, you name it. And, you know, there was a period of time there where, frankly, Norman Henry as the executive producer to Aaron Spelling was maybe the most powerful person in show business and so in the late 80s Norman Henry which the people in the industry called Norm if he made a phone call on your behalf that was like gold and I ended up working on countless TV shows and movies it was as much work as they can give me and I was still going up there and staying with um 
friends I knew, actresses or whatever, I would stay at their house and and or I would I would literally just sleep in my truck and uh, get up in the morning, go to the gym, shower up and get myself ready for work. And I'd be at the studio and nobody, you know, nobody questioned anything. But David Soul, who was born David Richard Solberg, changed his name for show business to David Soul, S-O-U-L, which was great because, you know, it it. It kind of has a mist, uh, a little mysticism about it, but um, David Soul's high point of his career, you would think, would have been Starsky and Hutch, but David Soul actually um, had a hit song, a number one hit song, that yeah, Casey Kasem counted him down all the way to number one, and David Soul had a song that was about a couple about to break up and he's begging her not to give up here let me play some of it for you sweet song uh very sweet song it, it just um you know it, it it was one of those songs like if you were thinking about giving up on a relationship that had the potential or or you know had the good bones as they say you know this 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 song got people thinking yeah why would why would you quit on it yeah so um david soul um passed away at the, i think he was uh I think he was 73 or 76. Um, uh, he was born um, August of 43, and he just died uh, about a week ago. So that would have been, he would have been almost 80, I guess, about 78 years old. And um, played Ken Hutch Hutchinson on Starsky and Hutch. And of course, had that hit song, Don't Give Up On Us, Baby. Rest in peace, David Soul. I did watch that show, and um, I was much more of a Beretta fan than than a Starsky and Hutch guy. But I did enjoy Starsky and Hutch. I got a kick out of their chemistry. Um, as a matter of fact, um, that kind of chemistry, that kind of interaction, um, is what I was seeking in my new in my miniseries that uh, hopefully will be going into production soon. So now we're gonna have some fun. We're going to talk about some Florida fools, Florida 
crimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and of course, I can't get through them all, but they are fun. So, okay, a Florida man impersonates a cop at an IHOP in order to get free food. Now, first of all, the national um, protocol is that police officers should not ask for or get free food. They just shouldn't. They, that, that's not part of the deal. They should pay for their food like everybody else. They should not be accepting what they call gifts. But, you know, when you're hungry, you're hungry. Well, um, Florida man Matt Skyta, S-K-Y-T-T-A, actually... This whole idea of getting free food, he took it too far. He impersonated a police officer at his local IHOP to get some free pancakes. Now, how much could pancakes possibly be? Anyway, this guy's 55 years old trying to get free pancakes. Well, the quote-unquote clever ruse actually didn't work. He dropped trow and flashed his buttocks at the startled server right after threatening to beat them up. He's dressed as a police officer. Now he's threatening to beat them up. Well, as police arrived to arrest Skida, I hope I'm saying his name right. If it's Skida, I'm going to be like, okay, well, that will speak to his personality. He, anyway, he allegedly claimed to be a Green Beret and shouted, if I die, Obama dies. Well, he earned himself charges of impersonating a law enforcement officer, trespassing, and disorderly conduct. Ah, okay. A Florida man repeatedly jumped into a crocodile enclosure at the zoo, but he left behind all his clothes. When staff members at a Florida alligator farm entered a crocodile enclosure and saw two floating croc shoes, get the joke, he was wearing crocs, and some clothing, they were kind of worried. They thought maybe somebody had been gobbled up. Well, they couldn't locate a body. They did find a trail of blood leading to the top of a 20-foot enclosure and alerted police right away. Luckily, a nearby neighbor had also called police to report a mostly naked man crawling through the bushes in her backyard. Well, it wasn't difficult for the officers to put two and two together. As it turns out, the Florida man jumped into the croc enclosure, wearing crocs. I can't help that joke. <laughs> he jumped into the croc enclosure several times before he eventually got attacked and ran away. And the croc got him a little bit. <laughs> and, he, and he ran away without his crocs. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> next story. Two Florida middle, middle school girls attempt to drink classmates' blood. <sighs> well, we don't want the Florida men to get all the attention. So here's one about. Two Florida girls, two middle school girls in Central Florida, they were caught before they could carry out their plan to murder their fellow classmates and drink their blood. Two students, 
Now, you would think they're probably almost adults, right? These two students were 11 and 12 years old. They brought knives to the school in order to execute their plot. Well, execute their classmates. According to police, the girl's plan was to set up shop in the lavatory and wait for smaller students to enter the bathroom, at which point they would stab the students and drink their blood. The two admitted to being Satanists and said that they had come up with the idea after watching scary movies together over the weekend. They are so easily influenced that they watched a couple of scary movies over the weekend and now they're going to go on a crime spree. Ah, yeah, we should probably put a big fence around Florida. Okay. Here's the last story I'm going to do about Florida and then we're going to have the great Gerardo on. An armless, man, an armless Florida man arrested for stabbing tourists with scissors. Now, vacation could be full of surprises, good and bad, but one thing people would never expect is getting stabbed by an armless man. Well, that's exactly what happened to 22-year-old Cesar Coronado when a homeless Florida man stabbed him with a pair of scissors. Now, remember, he's armless. He's unarmed. He's been disarmed. Well, he stabbed Cesar Coronado with scissors using his feet. Coronado told police that he and a friend were asking a gentleman for direction when he lunged at them, the homeless guy lunged at him and stabbed Mr. Coronado completely unprovoked. The homeless man, however, claims that he was lying down when Coronado and his friend punched him in the head for no reason. Despite the allegations, he was charged with aggravated battery and arrested. I would like to know how they cuffed him. That's it. Okay. I'm going to go back to Florida stories when, <laughs> when the show continues. But we are going to have the great Gerardo on right now. Tell me you're there. Hello. Hey, the great Gerardo is back. Welcome, my friend. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Yeah, you're doing really well. If you were in Vegas, you would have done really, really well. Calling that shot that far in advance of who's going to be there and then call it. Uh, let me let everybody know. Okay. I know that those that listen to the show regularly are very aware because almost everybody in the gym was like wondering how he does that magic trick. But I have an intro for you for the great Gerardo. So listen to this that I set up. Ha, ha, ha. 
That is stars and stripes forever, and and you nailed it. So let me bring let me bring everybody up to speed on what's going on. The great Gerardo is either from the future or he's a savant in football, but he called who would be in the championship game way ahead of time and came back on the show to predict who would win and by at least how much and nailed it. I got a call from two friends of mine in Las Vegas and they wish they had taken you seriously because that would have been payday. That would have been that would have been like betting on the 04 Red Sox. I mean, you're incredible, my man. You are amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you are being revered. I think that if you come to the gym with me when you come down here, I think they're going to just drop rose petals at your feet. Now, <laughs> now you did say, and and I'm again, I did not think that Jim Harbaugh, after winning the NCAA championship game, let me, by the way, let me tell everybody what you did, even though they're probably well aware. You predicted who would be in the championship game. You said Washington, Michigan. And when Washington was down to the, the final snap with the Longhorns, right? The defender, as, now, I mean, if the Longhorns had, had gotten that touchdown, they were an extra point away from winning and advancing to the championship game. And the defender went over the head of the receiver and swatted the ball away to end the game. And I don't think the ball hit the ground before my phone went off and you were... <laughs> You were. <laughs> I was. I was like, who would be calling now? <laughs> and you said, "Told you, Washington, Michigan." I knew it. <laughs> yeah, you're probably from the future or something. I don't know how you did it, but um, anyway. Then I I challenged you further, and I said, "Who wins?" And what did you say? Said Michigan by thirteen. Well, you said at least thirteen, but you said thirteen, like you were sure it would be at least thirteen, and they won by like mm -hmm. they won by like twenty, right? Yeah, twenty twenty one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to make a trip to Vegas at one point or another, and just just bring like a small amount of money and leave with a lot. Now, you said you thought Harbaugh would be interested in coaching in the NFL. And I disagreed with you foolishly and said, you know, he's like a god in Michigan. Why would he leave there? I mean, he kind of lives in his brother's shadow in the NFL, you know, especially after the Super Bowl where they faced each other and everything. And, you know, and John has had such incredible success with Baltimore. And now Baltimore is probably the favorite to win the Super Bowl. And you said, no, oh, no, he, I think he's interested in coaching in the NFL. So now, Mr. Man from the Future, the great Gerardo, what do you think? I think if he does go to the NFL, he'll take the, the Chargers job. Um, I think what he has at Michigan is really good right now. Um, I just, I just don't know. I was like, Personally, I don't know if as a coach he wants the 
the extra motivation to go win in the NFL. And obviously that Chargers job is attractive to anyone. You're in L.A. and you have Justin Herbert as your quarterback. Um, I just don't know if he's like content with his national championship at Michigan or he, if he wants to start the next dynasty because Michigan doesn't look like they're going to go anywhere quite soon. So I would say he'll probably stay at Michigan, but I wouldn't shut down the door for the Chargers to offer him a sweet deal. Well, you know, if he goes to the Chargers, obviously Chargers ownership and management, they're not going to give up the GM position like, you know, Belichick had in, in New England. And we'll get on to Belichick in a minute. But Harbaugh, first interview, you called it, First interview was with the Chargers, and he flew right out to SoFi to meet with the Chargers, mm-hmm. and then he flew to Atlanta, which, yeah. I mean, do you see him in Atlanta? Um, No, I think Atlanta would probably go after Bill before they go after Hardball. Well, we're going to talk about Bill in a minute, because um, I had dinner with some friends of mine last night, and... Um, and I gathered a crowd by accident. Uh, I began kind of slamming Bill, but we'll talk about Bill in a minute. And I, I was surprised, like we were eating at an outdoor cafe, and um, and I, I, I began expressing my opinion on Bill. But we'll, we'll, we'll cover that in a moment because I want to see what your feedback is on this. I mean, what your take is. I mean, I should just learn. I should just learn to listen to you. <laughs> so, um, so where else did Harbaugh interview? I think it's just what I've only heard of the Chargers so far. Well, he, he did go to Atlanta. He did he go to Atlanta. Atlanta. I got a friend that lives in Lawrenceville, and they said, "Oh yeah, you no, know, no, that was like a big deal when he got off the plane." And um, so he did go to Atlanta, and I know that other coach we were just talking about is interested in Atlanta, but I'll. Um, but so you think he'll land in 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 L.A.? I think it's between L.A. and Michigan. I don't think he'll go to Atlanta at all. Okay, and you don't think he's going to interview anywhere else? You don't think he's going to go to like Carolina? No, I think he's going to. I think if he leaves, he wants to go to a, a franchise that has you know a good, promising quarterback like Herbert. So I think he'll do that. Well, you see now, uh, okay. Um, you know, I, I, I sit there and, and, and I think, okay, I think the probability is he'll end up with the chargers. I think that's a probability. I don't know how well he'll fare in the AFC with John running things in, in Baltimore, but that's neither here nor there. He doesn't seem to fear his brother. I think his brother just, I think his brother just kind of casts a shadow his, you know, Jim's way. I just think that's, you know, as far as the NFL goes, I think, I think John has just been a a slight bit more successful. Although John was, John was at the championship game to, to root his brother on. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. They, I saw an interview with them on real sports and they seem at 60 years old or whatever, they still seem very competitive with each other. Yeah. I think it's healthy, but I think it's also more of like they want to see each other do well. So, yeah, I, I think mean, it's good family. Yeah, I yeah, agree. I agree. I agree with you. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit home for you, and I didn't I didn't warn you I was gonna do this, but I'm gonna hit home for you. Your Raiders, I have no idea why they haven't, you know, pulled the trigger and locked in Antonio Pierce. 
And I don't yeah. know why. I don't even know why they're even talking to anybody. Oh, by the way, by the way, by the way, Jim, Jim went to Las Vegas too. He, he did. He yes. Did. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think Atomo Pierce fits the Raider brand. And I think obviously the team backs him and you want a team that's going to back the head coach. I think if he was like unsuccessful in his interim season, I think Harbaugh would be a nice fit. But I think they should just stick with what's going good because they were, they were playing good ball towards the end of the year. Yeah, they were one game away from the playoffs. Oh, I know. Trust me. And they had three or four games that they should have won. Yes. The actual season, At least so. three, I'd say. But you and I talked about, yeah, I mean, there were three games. Yeah, that, that, that Bears game, that Vikings game, that Chargers game to begin the year. There's just a handful of games. Well, and there was, was one just... game, it was one game they should have lost. Which was the you know Jets game? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was it was maybe the boring game of the year. I mean, I think it, I think the, the it was nine three or something. It was a terrible game. And anyway, I think Antonio Pierce should find himself with at least a one, maybe two year contract, and just let him stay there. I mean, you know, we we talked about this last night, and my my buddy Jim said that. Um, you know, it seems like they recycle these head coaches. They get fired from A and they go to B and then they go to C because it seems like they know where the locker rooms are and they know which way it is, you know, to the sidelines. And they just they just seem to be in this stratosphere where they just keep getting traded off. But I think one, I, I pointed out last night that I think one coach who is no longer in that stratosphere, and I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about Chucky, I'm talking about Josh McDaniels. Yeah. I mean, he seems to have lost not just that team, but everybody in the league who are friends with other players. They don't seem to be endorsing or saying, oh, you know, he wasn't that bad. They're not saying that at all. They're saying he was awful. He was he was a dictator. And I know how I said that. But they said he was a real dictator. And, and it was a real problem. Like, like he just saw himself as Belichick 2007. Yeah. And I know the Patriots fans don't mind him. Like they actually don't like him. So, you know, with a new coaching staff over there, maybe he goes and finds his way back to the Patriots. But I know Raider fans were not so fond of him. Well, you know, okay. I mean, it's not just Raider fans. I mean, I've got friends that are former players and I've got a couple of friends that are current players and the word is out on McDaniels. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah, just, he's, yeah, he's not the locker room guy. And the fact that he never played the game makes it worse. Yeah. I mean, if you're not, if you never played the game, you should find a way to be on the right side of that fence. Mm -hmm. So, okay. We have danced around the big coaching controversy and um, obviously, you know, Belichick 14 wins away from tying Don Shula for 349 all time regular and postseason wins is not going to quit coaching, but with what he's got going on in new England, it might take him three seasons to get to 14 more wins. Yeah, I think, I mean, the rumors I've heard are the Falcons and, you know, Bill 
you know, he always plays with a strong defense, good linebackers, good secondary, and then he always has a good run game, and they have Bijan over there. So it's not. I think that's a, a solid fit for the Falcons, who have been right around that 500 mark for the past like two, three years. Well, the guys I had dinner with last night said that they wanted to hear your feedback, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna clean it up because I'm not sitting there around guys that are having beers while I'm drinking iced teas. But I mean, you know, we, we kind of was sitting there real loose and um, you know how people in surrounding tables wanted to listen, but here's my take on, on Belichick. And this is what kind of really ticks me off. Belichick. The word is teams are not interviewing Belichick. Belichick is interviewing teams as to who will be graced with his presence. Do you agree with that? I think at this point in his career and like what he's done, I think he'd rather go to the right spot for him than just go to any spot. So I think the way that's phrased is a little harsh to him. But I, I agree with him wanting to make sure that he's interviewing or just make sure the team's that are considering him are the right fit for him too because he's earned the right as a coach to just not, you know, join the carousel of here for two years, here for two years. Like, you know, this is probably going to be his last coaching gig, so he wants to make sure it's a good fit for him and he'll be successful. Okay. All right, that's fair. <clears throat> he wants what's best for him. I get that. I get that. Yeah. Now, here's here's what I said. I said that it it appears to me after watching Belichick, and this is not coming from a bitter New York Jets fan. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, this is me saying, okay, Belichick did just barely survived until Brady showed up. The Jets knocked Bledsoe out of the game, and Brady's on the bench. Nobody knows who Brady is. <clears throat> and Brady is Superman. He comes in, and he's like a pinball machine with touchdowns. And all of a sudden, Belichick appears to be maybe the greatest coach of all time until Brady leaves. And then Belichick isn't even mid-ground. He's not even middle of the pack. He's not able to take mediocre talent and make it great. He was blessed with Tom Brady, this Superman of a quarterback and Belichick, I think it appears rode the tales of, of Brady because when Brady left, he immediately won. When they split up, Belichick never won anything. I mean, he, he made one playoff appearance for one game in which they got slaughtered. Yeah, I think it goes both ways because um, it wasn't like Belichick was calling the offensive plays, obviously. Um, he's a defensive guy, but Brady did ride a lot of good defenses. I think any good team needs a good defense. And, you know, Brady won playoff games. Like that Rams, for example, that Rams Super Bowl game, that was a defensive master class, right? So I think it goes both ways. And I think after Brady left, the AFC East just got extremely better in terms of like the Bills and the Dolphins and the Patriots, did, A, we didn't have Tom Brady. He's fantastic to help 
carry that load, but B just didn't have enough firepower. And then Brady's great, but he also went to the Bucks that had an insane defense. And then he had two great receivers in Godwin and Mike Evans and Gronk. And at that point in his career, he didn't need to be like Mr. Everything. He was just, you know, doing what he does and carries the offense. And he's great too. So I think it goes both ways. I think teams just got better. Brady's doing Brady on the Bucks with the good roster and Belichick. I mean, their defense is still fine. It's just their offense has no substantial weapons compared to the Dolphins with Tyreek Hill or the Bills with Josh Allen. Well, you mentioned you mentioned um, the Super Bowl against the Rams, in which the Patriots were fourteen point dogs and ended up winning in a last second field goal. But I mean, I don't know. You might be too young to remember or realize. But when they won that Super Bowl against the Rams, they were actually fined because Belichick got caught recording the Rams' practices. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he, they got well, the, 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 and that's not the only time that the the Patriots got fined under Belichick. The Bel- Belichick actually fi- was fined for recording the New York Jets' practice when the Jets had that. Great defense in the 09 and 10. Um, the Patriots were fined for recording. They sent they sent somebody to the field and with a hidden camera recorded the Jets scrimmages. And when the when the Patriots won that Super Bowl, people were very suspicious because what looked like a news helicopter over the over the stadium turned out to be um, a, a magnified video camera recording the Rams as they went through their strides before the Super Bowl. Interesting. Yeah, I mean Belichick. I mean, I I understand that you know you were you know you you were very young, but I mean Belichick has been involved in a lot. I mean, Deflategate is the most famous. Brady throws an interception, and the guy is grabbing the ball. And he's looking at the ball while he's running, like what the heck is going on here? Like, like this ball, this ball is not is not inflated at all. <laughs> and and it turned out that um, Kraft and the Patriots, as as part of the um, competition committee, voted that the offense gets to use their own footballs during the games. So they can put their football out on the field. And the ball was inflated to like nine pounds instead of 13, which that's like a third of the air is out of it. Yeah. So Deflategate was a big deal. The recording other teams, the fines. I mean, there's been a lot of dirty that has gone on in order for, for Belichick to get that edge. And nobody else has been fined like that, which it makes me wonder how great is Belichick when he appears to be, he appears to be a cheater. I mean, you know, you're familiar with um, Wheaties cereal, right? Breakfast of Champions. Yeah. There was actually yeah. a cereal for the Patriots called Cheaties. <laughs> and again, I mean, this would have been like oh five, oh seven, or something. But you got to question their greatness when they keep getting caught cheating. No, yeah, I think every NFL fan does to some point, yeah. Yeah, and and now 
I'm sitting there saying, okay, Belichick, basically, you know, the Patriots parted ways with Belichick. Belichick didn't leave the Patriots. Belichick, mm-hmm. Belichick, you know, they, you know, Kraft and his son, Jonathan, decided it was time for Belichick to go. And and they they had a talk and Belichick did make a stink about it because he knows, you know, he'll end up getting the record somewhere else. But what I don't like is Belichick appears to be looking for a team that's like one playbook page away from a Super Bowl. He seems to be looking for a team that's turnkey, at least for the AFC or NFC championship game. So basically, isn't that what isn't that what Brady did though? With with Tampa, yeah, you could argue it's the same thing. Well, that's different for a quarterback, though. I mean, it's different for a player. You know, if you want to be if you want to be considered a great coach, I mean, you know, coach crap into a diamond. Don't don't you know don't coach a diamond into platinum. You know what I'm saying? I I, I just yeah. I question how good a coach he is. No, that's fair. But then you could also say like Brady and Bill were both towards the end of their respected careers and Brady wasn't going to go to a 2-14 and 14 team. He went to a team that was a quarterback away where he just needed to distribute the ball and not be Superman. And Belichick's essentially doing the same thing. He's going to a team that's a playbook away, has the right players, has the right fit, and doesn't need to, you know, make it a six-year process because he doesn't have six years. He doesn't have 10 years. He has maybe like a three-year window, two-year window. I I agree. And 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 the other thing is um, Brady was also looking for a team, as funny as this sounds, because I have had a friend that lived out by Brady, and um, he was looking for a team that was near water mm. because he had he had this like 100, was 120-foot yacht, million-dollar yacht, and um, and he wanted a place where he can put his yacht and enjoy his yacht. So he wanted to be on by water. So yeah, the Gulf of Mexico is pretty sweet. I mean, <laughs> Brady has Brady has had um, a, a a pretty um, Brady has had a pretty blessed, coincidentally blessed career. I mean, frankly, I think if Bledsoe doesn't get hurt. We never know who Brady is. I mean, you know, frankly, if the Patriots don't draft him 199th of 258, he was on nobody else's board. Brady be painting bridges or hammering nails. And I mean, seriously, nobody else was picking Brady. Every every team. I mean, the Jets passed on him six times in that draft. Nobody knew who he was. Yeah, it's true. He probably would have been on like Wall Street or something as a Michigan grad. Let me let me let me tell you something. I told my former partner that I used to do this show with. Um, when Brady got drafted by the Patriots, he ran into Robert Kraft. They were passing each other, going opposite directions in the uh, halls of um, Patriots front office, and Tom Brady stopped Robert Kraft and said, "Sir." I guarantee you, drafting me will be the best decision you ever made. And he put his hand out to shake hands with Robert Kraft. And Robert Kraft says, thank you, Tim. 
<laughs> he didn't even know who he was. <laughs> he said, thank you, Tim. <laughs> I mean, but Brady getting drafted when, like, if the Patriots don't take him, he's done. And then Bledsoe getting hurt, and he gets to step in there and show his talent. And then he gets surrounded by this great defense with Rodney Harrison and everybody. And then he gets a coach that's, you know, you know, a little tricky, a little slick in gathering intel from other teams. And um, it, I I have to wonder with them being convicted of Deflategate and them being fined for this and fined for that, I got to wonder how dirty that quote-unquote dynasty is. I mean, you know, there was a team that that the Patriots played in the playoffs. I forget what team it was in which a rule was was called that was never called before and only called once after that was called the tuck rule. Oh, they're playing my Raiders. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I was probably like it's probably like one or two at the time maybe. Yeah, when that happened, the whole country thought PTSD. everybody thought it was a fumble. And the Raiders were sure it was a fumble, and then they they said um, they said possession back to the Patriots under the tuck rule, and they kicked that field goal. Right yeah, but people, I mean, computers were kind of in their infancy, and and we didn't have smartphones or anything. Nobody knew what the tuck rule was. I was listening to like Jim Rome's um, radio show on, I think it was on AM at the time or something, but I was listening to his. And people were like, "I've never heard of the tuck rule," and I mean, it was, and it was only ever called. By the way, it's been taken off the rule book with the NFL. The tuck rule no longer That's, exists. It's comical, right? But they call the tuck rule, and Raiders are like, "We recovered the fumble." What are you talking about? I mean, his hand wasn't moving forward. They said he was attempting to tuck the ball away. I was like, "What?" Why would they even have a rule like that? Yeah, it's funny, too, because um, Charles Woodson was doing an interview with Tom Brady, I think both Michigan guys, and then he starts off the interview with, yeah, so you fumbled that ball, huh? And then Brady just stares at him intensively for like five to eight seconds, and it's just awkward, and they just move on. He just wouldn't, did not want to talk about it. Well, I mean, come on, you know? I mean, okay. I, I don't know. I, I think you were too young to know the details on Deflategate. I mean, I think I, I do. Because, I mean, they beat... That was when Andrew Luck was in the playoffs tearing it up and they beat the Colts, right? Right. They beat the I Colts and the Colts, the Colts the Colts intercepted the ball and the guy is running with the ball, but he's not looking for people to avoid. He's looking at the ball like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, and yeah. and here's the other thing. And that's when Andrew Luck was like actually carrying the Colts. He was just on. Oh, he, Andrew Luck was great. I think if he, uh, I wish he had an O line man. That that still hurts me. Well, Andrew Andrew Luck didn't wasn't you know he, he didn't have the um, the blessed set of coincidences that that Brady had. But the other thing I don't know that you're aware of in regard to Deflategate. Is the NFL would do? They were doing an all-out investigation as to how this could have happened—that somebody didn't check the air pressure 
on the footballs. And the Patriots were found to be putting in a special set of footballs for punts because they were on offense and they had changed the rules with the rules committee to put, you know, the offense gets to put their own footballs in for the, when they're on offense. And when they would have to punt on fourth down, the Patriots were found to be putting helium instead of oxygen into the footballs. So the balls would, would float further longer on punts. So it would pin the opponents back deeper in their own zone. The ball wouldn't come down as quickly. That's interesting. Now, here's another thing with Deflategate. The NFL, they're doing a full-on investigation to find out how this could have possibly happened. Okay, they're mad. Like, like this, this, is, this is a violation of trust here. This is bad. And there was some suspicion that Brady had texted the equipment manager to let some of the air out of the football. Now wait, it gets better. It gets better. They, They subpoenaed his phone. They wanted to decipher what was going on, whether or not he texted the equipment manager and told him to let some of the air out of the football. Well, guess what? Interesting. Brady was not able to give them his phone. Apparently, it got destroyed in an accident. (laughs) Always an accident, right? Right. Apparently, the phone fell and broke apart, and so the phone doesn't exist anymore. Mm. So the NFL never got the phone. And today, in in 2024, even in 2020, even in 2017, they would be able to go to the cell phone company and everything that's on that phone, they would be able to pull up because now the, the record keeping, the, the, the technology is so such that when they, when they, when they uh, try crimes in courtrooms, even though the phone has been destroyed, they can still pull up the text messages. But that wasn't in the original. That wasn't in the original flip phones and stuff. If those phones got destroyed, all that information died with those phones. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Brady. Yeah, I wonder how dirty that dynasty is. Yeah, you always need a lot of things to go in your like your favor to have a dynasty like that. Well, I mean, the Steelers dynasty in the seventies seemed like a real. Blue collar, roll your sleeves up, win games, play hard, you know, ass kicking defense type of dynasty. And they won four mm-hmm. they won four Super Bowls. But, you know, these guys win in six under very questionable this and that. And when I say questionable this and that, I mean it just seemed like they were creating ways of cheating. No, yeah. There's always going to be question marks. And in, and your Raiders, your Raiders have been on the wrong side of bad calls 
a couple of times in sports history. I know you're too young to know the the Immaculate Reception, but you know about the tuck rule because you read up on it because you were like one. <laughs> but the Immaculate Reception by Franco Harris, you know, him running that back because on fourth and 10, Terry Bradshaw throws this ball just past the sticks. It goes through the hands of his receiver and ricochets off of him. And Franco Harris, for some unknown reason, is running down the field toward that receiver and grabs the ball an inch from the ground and runs it back. And the Raiders are standing there saying, what are you doing? Two offensive players can't touch the ball in a row. I mean, that's a rule. You can't have one guy touch it and then another guy catch it. A defensive player has to touch it in between. Well, most people do not know about the immaculate reception against your Raiders is that it took... Franco Harris runs it back for a touchdown. And one fan literally held his... held jumped off the wall holding up by his arms and fell like a story and a half to the ground and grabbed the football that he has to this day because Franco Harris just threw it on the ground, not realizing how valuable it was, but it took 17 minutes for the referee to call it a touchdown. Do you know why? No. When Franco Harris caught that ball, ran it back for the immaculate reception the referee ran to the sidelines and grabbed the phone and asked for an outside line. The game was in Pittsburgh, and he asked for an outside line to the Pittsburgh Police Department. And he said, I need to know how many cops you can get down here right away. And they said, what's the problem? And he said, Franco Harris just ran in the winning touchdown, and I have to call it back. And there's going to be 50,000 Steelers fans furious. And I'm going to need to be able to make that call and get off the field. And they put him on hold. And that that dispatcher spoke to their superiors, who are all Steelers fans, obviously. And like 15 minutes later, came back on the phone and said, we could offer you six officers. And he looked around at the 50,000 fans and said, six? He said, yeah, that's all we have available is six. And he hung up the phone and ran out on the field and called it a touchdown. No way. True story. True story. That's crazy. Yep. And he has, and and Sample from the Raiders was angry as, as all hell about it. And the, the referee said, yeah, they would have stormed the field. I would have never been able to get out of, get out of there. I mean, they were losing their mind that they just won, and now I got to call it back. And I'm not going to do that if I'm going to get killed over it. That's a crazy call. Isn't that a crazy story? Mm-hmm. But I mean, all the celebration and everything, and he finally came out and put his hands up and said, touchdown. Crazy. Crazy. All right. So I know I, I again, I can't get enough of you. I like, I like spending time with you. But let's... Let's talk a little bit about what happened wild card weekend because um, there were four favorites in the NFC and that would have been San Francisco, Dallas, 
Detroit, and the Eagles. Those were the four favorites going into week 12. Well, the Eagles, the Cowboys, <laughs> the Browns, the Steelers, the Jets, the Cardinals all won the same amount of playoff games this year. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what happened with the Browns and that defense, but they just, I mean, C.J. Stroud, I know you're you're a C.J. Stroud fan like, I, like I'm a Richardson fan. You know, I mean, he dismantled the Browns. He looked amazing, right? He looked better than he had all year. This was his best game of the year. Yeah, no, I watched some of the game and I thought the Browns would honestly pull it off just because of their defense. And CJ Stroud made him look like I, was, I thought I was watching a JV team. He yeah. made it look very. It looked like he was playing a high school team or something. It looked unfair. And by the yeah. way, the, the score was 45 14. I mean, the Browns got a late sloppy touchdown to make it 45 14, but it was 45 <laughs> 7. Yeah. And that was almost like the Packers Cowboys game where like the Packers, it was just too easy for them to everyone was open. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I told you I've got some friends, lifetime friends in Vegas. And one one of my buddies that I actually grew up, you know, I've known since I was nine, um, the word in Vegas was that Dak Prescott never had that bad a game all year. I mean, let's talk about that game because he was missing guys by three or four yards. I mean, I'm a pitcher, and I could hit a dot from 60 feet, six inches, and I'm 62 years old. And, I mean, my arm and my hand-eye coordination is superior as a pitcher. He's a quarterback. He can throw a football through a keyhole, and he's missing guys by 12 or 15 feet, and he's throwing pick sixes. He's throwing interceptions. They're finding themselves on fourth and long. And my my friend said that around the sports books in, in Vegas, he said, you know, people are wondering if Dak didn't make more money throwing the game than he would have if he'd won the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's funny. But it was just, yeah, you could just tell they're just off. And honestly... Like when you when you get down that fast that early, it just puts your offense in like even more of a terrible spot. It well, just, it looked super unclean. It just looked terrible. It looked like terrible football. Boy, I wish I'd thought to use that word. That's a good word for what we saw. It looked unclean. You know, you can't really say it looked dirty, but it seems suspicious that Dak would have that bad a game at home. You know, I mean. And by the way, I don't think for me, I don't think it's suspicious. It's just like, what was, what was the game plan on offense? Like what, what was the issue? Like, I just, it's like, I, I just don't get it. I like this offense was supposed to be the best in the NFL in aspects. And they barely get seven points at the end of the first half. Yeah. They barely got out of the first half without breaking a record for being slaughtered. And, yeah. and J Jerry Jones had just, completely endorsed McCarthy because no seven seed had ever gotten into the divisional round from the wild card round. It's never happened in the NFL. And he thought this is a lock. 
Yeah, Jordan Love is good, but this Packers team is not that good. They're not going to beat this Cowboys team, are they? They're not going to go into Dallas and beat the Cowboys. And they didn't just beat them. I mean, it was a massacre. It was terrible. It was it was, it was to the point where I wanted to turn off the TV because it just kept on becoming more of an ugly game. It was to the point where you would guys open and no one around them like that Luke Musgrove touched it. He was like, no one was close to him for like 10, 15 yards. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, yeah, I mean, the, the, I, I just, and he, and, and I've never seen CD lamb get in a quarterback's face before, but CD lamb, you know, it reminded me of that famous movie, eight men out about the 1919 black Sox that threw the world series against the reds. You know, there's a scene, there's a scene where, one of the pitchers is clearly throwing up olives for these guys to hit. Like he's clearly throwing the game. And the and the, the third baseman comes over and goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? And the guy says, hey, you play your game, I'll play my game. He says, what are you doing? Give him the real stuff. Give him the real stuff. And, I mean, he was on the take. But C.D. Lamb got into Dak's face, and the two of them... You can see the rest of the nine guys in that huddle distance themselves and give them some space. Like it seemed like two huddles for a moment. And I thought C.D. Lamb is pretty well behaved. He's a gentleman. He's got no scandal in his career. And he's a talented football player. But the two of them were nose to nose yelling at each other. Yeah. Yeah. So... So the, the the and I thought I thought oh well, you know what even though he endorsed McCarthy this uh this might be you know a little backstepping here and he may turn around and and let him go after being humiliated like that you know I thought he I thought maybe Mike McCarthy would be gone and that he'd be setting his sights on Belichick but. Belichick is going to want to be the GM and Jerry's not giving that up. Yeah. So again, you're back to Atlanta because Atlanta, I mean, you know, Arthur blank, he'll give up that, that GM to a head coach like Belichick. Mm -hmm. So you and I both called it with the chiefs and dolphins. And I actually have a, I actually have a funny uh, a funny anecdote to share with you in a moment that I, I I know you're not aware of and I think you'll get a kick out of, but um, yeah the the Chiefs Dolphins I mean the Chiefs put the Dolphins in their place, but I still don't think the Chiefs are Buffalo good. I don't know I think I never count out Patrick Mahomes. Well. I, I, I'm looking at Josh Allen and this team seems to have hit their stride. You know, like you have oh, you ever, no. have you ever run a marathon? No. Okay. I, I have I've run it. something happens around the sixteen to nineteen mile mark where all of a sudden your body is on autopilot. Like you're really not doing anything. Your muscle memory is handling it and you're on a cruise. And as long as you keep that pace it's it's like um, 
um, like cruise control in your car, you're just going. And um, the Buffalo Bills look like they're they've they're hitting their stride. Yeah, and this sense. game is in Buffalo. Say. I mean, not that the Chiefs are afraid of cold, cold weather, but this game is in Buffalo. So, yeah. so the other the other game that turned out to, it looked like it was going to be a blowout, turned out to be a really good close game was Detroit and the Rams. Rams made a run for it. No, oh, yeah, I thought the Rams were going to make it a close game too. I mean, they they're championship caliber team, but I'm glad Detroit. Well, yeah, Detroit. How, how does that? How does the Rams kicker, who missed that one extra point, recover from that? Because that was the difference. I that's just a mental thing. Well, <laughs> if I'm on the Rams, I'm spending the off season at his house. <laughs> I'm gonna be like eating all his food and reminding him why I'm there. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But Detroit, you know. Goff looked great, and the Rams looked great. That was the game. That was the best game of of the wild card weekend. Now I'll tell you something. I I'm not surprised the Bucks beating the Eagles because the Eagles haven't looked good for about six weeks. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and I'm I'm even surprised they got the nine points they got. You know, yeah, you got. I mean, that offense was pathetic. Like, it was pathetic. You it know, was, yeah, it's it's to the point where it was just like I'm going to make you throw the ball and you're not going to win. And I and I think Sirianni is safe, but I don't think he's safe if this if this happens next year. I don't think Hertz is safe if this happens next year too. Right, I agree with you. And you know, as an athlete, I'm watching Hertz move about on commercial breaks, and I'm looking. I'm saying, you know what? Something looks. He looks like this. There's. He, maybe he's not sharing a problem with one of his knees because he looks like he's favoring one leg over the other. Mm. He just didn't look like he was walking balanced. I mean, you know, like our baseball season is about to start and I'm going to do probably a month of balancing exercises so that I'm not favoring one side or the other because that's how you get your knee or your hip hurt or something. And he looked like... He looked like he was scooting one leg over the other, and I thought, boy, that he may not have told somebody about about some pain he's in. But um, interestingly, Baker Mayfield became the first Tampa Bay quarterback, including Tom Brady, to ever throw for three touchdowns and three hundred yards in a playoff game. Yeah, he played great. Did you know that? He's the first no, Tampa Bay quarterback to ever do that. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now, I mean, you and I weren't surprised about the Eagles thing. I mean, I, I think that was over before it started. But now we're down to the final eight. And you got Houston going to Baltimore. Baltimore's got a couple of weeks of rest. Um, What do you think? I think. Like you said, the Ravens are the favorite for a reason. I think Stroud is going to play well to keep it somewhat close of a game, but I think the Ravens ultimately have too much firepower. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's a a Green Bay Dallas type slaughter, but I think um, 
Like Ravens by 10. Yeah, nine right. or 10. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. I'm thinking the Ravens touchdown and a field goal. Yeah, that that would that, that's about right. Okay. Now, unfortunately for Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers, I don't think Purdy is on the take with the with the gangsters and the gamblers. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that Dak Prescott is, but it looks suspicious the way he played. Anyway, Green Bay is going over to Santa Clara to play the Niners. I got to figure, again, I'm figuring the Niners by 10, maybe 14. I think it's going to be uh, – I, I could see the Packers making this a close game, a very close game. I'll say Niners by four. By four? Mm-hmm. You think the Packers are going to be in a position where they're going to need a touchdown if they're going to win toward the end of the game? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know what? And 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 – I've learned to not question you. <laughs> I just my only concern is if the if the Niners get off to a hot start, like a quick start, they'll be fine. But you know they're coming off a bye, and that could hurt. And then also, like the Packers' offense has been playing great, and I think the Niners' defense has been a little suspect at times. You're right. You're exactly right. I I agree with you. The Niners' defense has been a little Swiss cheesy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now Tampa Bay is going to Detroit. Here's the funny anecdote I was going to share with you. So um, head coach of uh, Tampa Bay, right? Todd Bowles, former head coach of the Jets, um, is doing a press conference after winning last week. Are you talking about the down comment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you 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 tell the listeners the story. To me, I think female reporters are not quite on even ground with male sports reporters and sports broadcasters, but I think this set them back about five years. It could have been an honest mistake. Honestly, like I, I think it was just a blank thing. I don't I don't favor one male or female over the other. I, I just think it was, you know, just looking at the weather and how everything's been playing and then just forgetting they play in a dome. But, uh, no, it was basically she asked Todd Bowles, like, oh, how does the weather play a factor? And he just responded, like, you know, we, we play in a dome, right? Like, we're going to be playing in a dome. Yeah. yeah. And and you know he was he was dignified about it. He was he was polite and dignified about it. I don't no, think it was, I don't I, think a Ditka or somebody like that would have been quite as polite. I I think for any reporter you should proofread your questions before you go out there and ask them. Fact. And I I just That's yeah, a fact. Yes. So, that's why that's why you're not wasting time or you don't want to waste people's time or waste your own questions. So, yeah, honestly, it won't happen again to her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is she talking about like going from the from the bus to the stadium? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. At least a light in the mood. It's fine. That, that is probably going to be the game of the weekend is Tampa Bay at Detroit. I think that's going to be I think that's going to be the tightest game that could go either way. What do you think? Yeah, I think I like Detroit just because of like the energy they're playing with. I think I think it's going to be a very close game. I just think Detroit has kind of like that Michigan vibe to them, where they're just playing you know for each other and good football. I think Detroit by three. And the town, I mean, you know, the game the game ended on the weekend. You know when the party ended in Detroit? What? I got I got a buddy who runs a a Stallone 
um, fan page and he lives up there and the party ended Tuesday morning. Like they went through the night Monday. <laughs> the party went nuts. Nobody knew the sun was coming up or going down. They just kept partying because they won. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Now, here's the game that you and I are on opposite sides of the fence on because you still believe in Mahomes enough to, I mean, Chiefs at Buffalo, and that's no dome. Yeah, I think, I think in this game, if Josh Allen plays a clean game, I could see the Bills, you know, you know, winning. But I just think Mahomes has just, you know, been there, done that so many times. Until I see it happen, I'm not going to believe it. So I'll take Mahomes. Okay. Well, I mean, you and I are going to probably talk. Um, we'll probably talk next week. Um, just you and I, I don't know if you want to come on the show or not, but, but it would be interesting through the playoffs. Um, by the way, I don't know if you know who Billy Sample is. No. Billy Sample is the former center fielder for the New York Yankees. Okay. He said, okay, that guy, that football guy, the expert guy, the young kid, he's smart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, former former New York Yankees center fielder. I took him to a Yankee game at Anaheim with a bunch of Yankee friends of mine in a in a Yankees group, and we bought out a whole section on the first base side. And um, poor Billy, I felt so bad for him because he he didn't get to watch the game. I mean, Yankee fans from all over the stadium were lining up to get pictures with him, and and, and I mean. He just, you know, he just, he didn't get to really enjoy the game. And I, I told him, and he's like, okay, we're doing a skybox next time. Is, I mean, that was just, I mean, there were people wearing his, his jersey and they wanted him to sign. And other people watching the game couldn't see around the crowd he was drawing. But he said, you are, hey, that football guy is smart. So that's that's a genuine compliment from a professional athlete who has been listening to your to your comments on this show appreciate it yeah you're you're really something so i do appreciate you uh you know um you staying on the show extra long i know you and i have a lot of fun but you just you text me next week if you want to do 10 minutes and we'll talk about what happened this weekend especially i mean if if the chiefs pull that out (laughs) i'm gonna do the show bowing to you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sounds good. I'll, I'll text you, okay? All right. All right, brother. You take care, and thanks for coming on. Take care. Thank All you. right. Bye-bye. Bye. That was the great Gerardo. The great Gerardo who can do no wrong. The man is amazing, and he's a great interview, and he's a lot of fun. But, oh, I don't know how his mind works, but he seems to know. He's NFL Nostradamus. But that is the great Gerardo.
the great Gerardo rules. Yeah, they should change the name of that song to the great Gerardo. I think that'd be much better. Oh, it has been a little bit of a longer show than we normally do. That's true. But the crowd loves it, and that's really all that matters. <laughs> Yeah, the great Gerardo did it again. That is season six, episode three of JV to the Pros. I am your host, Jack Vecchio, and I enjoy doing this each and every week with you. And we're going to find out if the great Gerardo is right or wrong about Kansas City and Buffalo. We are on opposite sides of the fence on that. But that is a wrap. I want to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. For each and every episode, I want to thank producer Karen, the Queen of Queens, New York, for putting together the post-production. And I want to wish you well. And until we connect again, this is JV to the Pros. And you can contact us on Facebook at JV to the Pros or Instagram, JV to the Pros, all spelled out. You can email us at JV to the Pros at gmail.com. I'm Jack Vecchio. And we will do another wrap of the NFL playoffs. And I'll have some more Florida crime stories for you when we return. <laughs>